Find Hebrews 11 in your copy of the scripture. We're going to talk this morning about living by faith as we continue our journey through the book of Hebrews. I think today's is the 14th message in all. Uh, We've not covered every single passage. We have covered most of them. And uh, we will probably probably be in Hebrews maybe another two, three, probably four more messages But anyway, this morning I want to talk from chapter 11 about living by faith. Now, as you find your place in your copy of God's Word, I do want to uh, go over several things. First of all, Kirk Inslee just told me that our mission group, our mission team that has been in New York City this week, has just arrived back. So that's good news. That's certainly an answer to prayer. Uh, Let me say to you, as you look at the messenger Uh, don't go away uh, this summer. Don't vacate from church. Uh, There's so much going on around here. Next week, we will only be in one service. The reason for that is it's 24 or 27 graduates from high school that we have next week. The largest class that we've ever had. And so with all of the... the, uh, introductions and awards and presentations and all of that is a part of next week's service we really only have time for one service and so uh, pray for Kevin as he continues to try to put all that together there's a lot of pieces uh, to next week and then following next Sunday we will have a mission group going to eastern North Carolina and so remember these folks busy time Uh, Then Vacation Bible School coming up at the end of June. And to kick off Vacation Bible School that morning, we will have Dan the Animal Man. Maybe you've seen him on the Animal Planet. He will be here with us in person, bringing part of his zoo with him. And then uh, he's he's a believer, and he'll be given a gospel presentation Uh, The theme is in the wild and talking about wild animals and all that. So Dan the Animal Man is going to be here. So a lot going on uh, going into the summer. Not even to mention all the children's camps and youth camps and all that. So pray for the activities that will be taking place uh, through the ministry of the church here. Lots of avenues for you to get uh, plugged in. Well, today on a Sunday when... Uh, a weekend, I should say, that in here, 10.30. Yes, thank you. Uh, I am saying that right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> when, when I said yes, I thought, wait a minute. But yes, it's, it's in here. Yes. Good question. But uh, on a weekend that we talk about sacrifice, what those have sacrificed for our country, what a great chapter to be in as we look at those who have sacrificed for the faith. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please? We will read in chapter 11, down through verse 16, and then we will jump over to verse 32. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. 
By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose builder and designer is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. Now over to verse 32. And what more shall I say for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. 
Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts, our minds, our spirits today. That we might receive wonderful things from your word. God, we thank you for the witness of those in scripture who lived by faith. Some of them paid the ultimate price. But all of them demonstrated that faith cost. Lord, help us to understand today that faith involves cost. It involves surrender. And it it involves life adjustments. Sometimes major adjustments. God, whatever it is that you call upon us to do, I pray that we would faithfully live lives of faith to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke chapter 9, I want you to listen to what Jesus said on one occasion. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Implication is what? You follow me? You may not have a permanent home either. You may move about. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. To follow Christ, to live lives of faith, we might even be called in some cases to forsake whatever it is that we deem to be the most important thing in our lives. Christ may call upon us to make major adjustments to forsake our way of life to follow Him in an entirely new way of life. Over and over again in the scripture we see the principle that we cannot stay the way that we are and follow Christ. To follow Him always involves life adjustments. I think of the case of our mission team that's been in New York City this week with Logan Dagley. Logan Dagley is a young man who came up through our student ministry here and then went away to college, felt the Lord calling him into ministry, went to seminary, and he's been on the pastoral staff of a church here in North Carolina. But recently he has felt God calling him to go and plant a church in New York City. And so Logan and his wife and their young children have picked up everything and gone to do just that. And along with Logan and his family, there are five couples out of their church here in North Carolina. Five couples and a number of college students who have done the same. They've sold their homes. They've left their jobs. 
they have relocated to New York City to be a part of the core group with Logan to start a church there. Now, folks, what do you call that? That's faith. That's faith. The hardest thing you and I will ever be called upon to do is to live a life of faith. We need to remember what Jesus said on one occasion. He said, if a man would follow me and be my disciple, he must deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. Not find yourself, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. We have sometimes been led to believe that a life of faith will be easy. That a life of faith will require very little. But folks, that is not what we find in the Word of God. In fact, we find exactly the opposite. And what we learned this morning is that we need to pay any price that is necessary in order to press on in faith in Christ. It's a powerful word for us today. We are being told uh, of major studies that are being done. In fact, four very reputable studies. That in America, really in North America, in the West in general, the number of Christians is radically plummeting. And at the same time, the number of Christians is plummeting the amount of opposition of those following Christ is increasing. More and more we are facing those in our culture who are very much opposed to what we believe and they are making their opposition very vocal and very public. You and I, despite all of that, do not need to shrink back, but we need to press forward and we need to live lives of faith. We need to follow Christ. Now let's see what the writer of Hebrews says about that. First of all, this morning I want you to look with me at the nature of faith. We're going to talk about what faith is. Look again at verse 1. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This chapter begins with a general observation about the nature of faith. Now, more so than defining faith, the writer is going to give us some significant features of faith. And then he's going to show us how faith is fleshed out in everyday human lives. Now, it's important to see the context here. I have repeatedly tried to point out as we've gone through the book of Hebrews what the context is. For the most part, he is writing to Jewish believers. They've come out of the synagogue, they've come out of the temple, and they've come to follow Christ. And many of them, because they are now following Christ, they have lost family, they have lost friends, some of them have lost their jobs and their homes, some of them have even paid with their very lives because they now follow Christ. And they're beginning to think about this high cost. You see, the Jewish religion was protected under the Roman Empire. Christianity was not. 
that would not come for a couple of hundred more years under Constantine. But Christianity was not recognized and so to become a follower of Christ sometimes would involve everything. It would involve the ultimate price. And so some of these Jewish believers are thinking about going back to the Old Testament ways. They're thinking about going back to the synagogue and back to the temple. And he's pointing out to them that God is not even dealing with mankind anymore on the basis of the old covenant. Because Jesus fulfilled the old covenant. And so they need to press on in their faith in Christ. If they go back to the old covenant, they're not going to meet God there. And so again, they need to live by faith in Christ, whatever that involves. Christ is better than the law. He's better than Moses. He's better than those Old Testament sacrifices. And so they don't need to shrink back. They need to press on. Look at the way verse uh, chapter 10 ended. Pick up reading with me in verse 35 of chapter 10. He says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay but my righteous one shall live by faith and if he shrinks back My soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So they must not shrink back. They must move forward in faith. Now as we pick up in in chapter 12 here, I love the study note, if you're using the ESV study Bible, at the bottom of the, of the page you'll see a study note about the start of chapter 11. And I, and I think this says it so well, you can see it up on the screen. By defining faith as assurance and conviction, the author indicates that biblical faith is not a vague hope grounded in imaginary wishful thinking. Instead, faith is a settled confidence that something in the future, something that is not yet seen but has been promised by God will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. Thus biblical faith is not blind trust in the faith uh, in the face of contrary evidence, not an unknowable leap in the dark, rather biblical faith is a confident trust in the eternal God who is all powerful, infinitely wise, eternally trustworthy, the God who has revealed himself in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ whose promises have proven true from generation to generation and who will never leave nor forsake his own. That is a great statement. I find that statement incredibly helpful in understanding faith. Faith is a steadfast hope in a trustworthy God. A steadfast hope in a trustworthy God. Believing what God has told us is the foundation of the Christian's life. He begins speaking here about creation. You and I were not there at creation and likewise we are not going to be there at the very end when God wraps things up. 
God's word, God's promises are all that we have. But it's enough. God's word is enough to build our lives upon. His word is enough to shape our lives and be the anchor for our lives. It is to be our foundation. Now folks, let me say that what we are not being encouraged to do here is to have faith in faith. Have you ever heard some of these preachers on TV talk about, you know, it's, it's almost like they're saying, it's just faith in faith. No, it's not. Chapter 11 is not talking about just faith, but it's talking about faith in God. You see, the object of your faith has got to be worthy of your faith. And only Christ can be worthy of your faith. For example, you might know you need new brakes on your car. Or maybe on your truck and you're pulling a trailer and you're going down a mountain and you've placed your faith in those brakes. Those brakes are not, are not a worthy object of your faith. You might lose your brakes and you might crash. The object of your faith has got to be worthy of your faith. But folks, we, we place faith in things every day that are, not, that are not worthy of our faith. I think of an illustration Dr. John MacArthur gives. We've got some folks here out of his church. He gives the illustration of a commercial pilot in his church who flies these jumbo jets. And this particular commercial pilot came to Dr. MacArthur on one occasion and said, I need to tell you what happened to us on a recent flight to London. The person doing our navigation punched in the wrong the wrong codes and the wrong latitude and longitude and all that. And, and, and so instead of flying to London, four hours into the flight, we discovered that we were headed to Brazil. <laughs> That's a scary thought to think about, isn't it? Some of you this afternoon in just a little while will go to a restaurant to eat lunch. You'll sit down and enjoy the food. And you've not seen the kitchen and you've not seen the cooks. Is it clean? It may not be. You know what? We don't even like to think about stuff like that, do we? It's better just kind of put some of that out of our mind and just eat the food. But my point is, every day we put faith in things that, that are not worthy of our faith. But God is worthy of our faith. Faith is the assurance or the conviction that God will do everything He has promised even though we don't see all the fulfillment yet of those promises because we know who it is that we have faith in. We have faith in a God who cannot lie. And something else you and I have that the saints of old did not have. We have the complete canon of Scripture. And so we've been able to read on and see how God fulfills some of the promises that he made to them. 
Now, some of God's promises are still yet future, but by reading how he has fulfilled some of his promises exactly the way he said he would gives us confidence that any promises that remain to be filled, God will fulfill those exactly as he's promised. That's the kind of God that he is. And so again, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Secondly of all, today I want you to see with me the necessity of faith. Read again with me verse 2 and then verse 6. He says, for by it the people of old received their commendation. And then down in verse 6 he says, without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse 2 tells us that it was by faith that the people of old received their commendation they were praised by God when they took God at his word and when they took God at his word they saw the mighty hand of God at work and God was pleased when his people trusted him an example of that would be Abraham we're told in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God and God Credit it unto him as righteousness. Abraham's faith was commended by God. Verse 6 is even more emphatic. Verse 6 tells us that it is impossible to please God without faith. And he lays down a very simple and common sense premises, premise here. Whoever would draw near to God must believe two things. And what are those two things that he talks about in verse 6? Number one, you must believe that God is there. If you don't believe God's even there, you're not going to draw near to him. So you must believe that he's there. And number two, you must believe that he rewards those who seek him. That's two basic requirements. The writer of Hebrews is simply being very straightforward here. Everything he is saying that a person of faith would be able to... to A person of faith would be able to affirm and respond to with a hearty amen. But I want you to see that he is laying the groundwork for his application to them. He's going to show them that the difficulty they are facing is nothing new. He is going to point out to them that all of the heroes of our faith that we read about in the Old Testament paid tremendously for their faith. You know, faith is easy to talk about. It's easy to read about. But do we really have faith? Those in the Bible that had faith and were commended by God had a faith that cost them. Cost them dearly in some cases. Every person that he names in chapter 11 is somebody from the Old Testament. The beginning part of chapter 11 is characters from the Old Testament from Genesis 4 all the way through Joshua 6. And then he's going to go on in the middle part of the chapter and beyond to talk about characters in the book of Judges and also some of the prophets. 
He wants them to understand that if they will be honest with the scripture, they will see that even the great heroes of the faith that they were accustomed to reading about in the synagogues paid dearly for their faith. Some of these Old Testament characters were victorious through miracles while others suffered and died. But the point is, whether by life or by death, They were victorious through faith. They were victorious through faith. And so what Christ is asking of them and what Christ is asking of us today, now in the present, is no different in that regard. Living a life of faith will be costly. We should not even think that it's going to be easy. Well, let's see some of the examples. The third thing I want you to see with me is what faith looks like in everyday life. He begins talking about these characters in verse 4 all the way through verse 40. So to point out what faith looks like, he gives examples. I love what he's doing here because it's like he knows that it's very difficult to give a Webster-type definition of faith. Defining faith would be kind of like nailing jello to a wall. It's easier to show what faith looks like in everyday human lives. And so that's what he does here. He begins talking about people like Abel and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Rahab and so forth and so on. And he, and he gives us four principles about faith that I want you to write down. Principle number one is that faith believes God. Faith believes God. Every one of these Old Testament characters did exactly what verse 1 and verse 6 talks about. God spoke to them, and when God spoke to them, they believed His Word. They heeded His Word. Now, folks, we know as we go back into the book of Genesis, as we go back into Joshua and Judges and some of the prophets, we know that some of them had doubts and had struggles. That's beyond what he's trying to get at at this point. Regardless of any doubts or struggles they had, the the overall testimony of their life is that they believed God. They took God at his word. Do you take God at his word? I love what Dr. Billy Graham said about this on one occasion. He said, you know... I don't understand everything in the Bible. There are things in the Bible that I just simply can't get my head around. I can't understand everything. He said, but you know, that's because I'm, I'm human. I'm finite. 
He said, I know that one of these days as I grow more in my faith, as I do more study of the Bible, as I, as I see some more of the evidence uncovered, I will understand more of the Bible. And, and even, even that way, I may not understand everything, but one of these days I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And in that day, I'm confident that everything will become clear. He said, I choose by faith to believe God. To take God at his word. That's faith. And that's what every one of these characters did. They took God at his word. The second principle is. Faith acts upon what it believes. Faith acts. It's exactly like what James says. Faith without works is dead. Works do not save. But works demonstrate the reality of our faith. Faith acts upon what it believes. Faith is more than just empty words. And and he's going to talk about Abel and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Rahab and Isaiah along with many others. In every one of these cases, these people acted upon their faith and their faith changed their lives. Let's think about just a couple of them. We don't have time to go through every name here. But think with me first about Abel. Cain and Abel. One writer says there, as you read the Genesis account, there must be a backstory that we're not told about. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us everything about everything. It just tells us what we need to know. But this one writer said there must have been a, a, a backstory. The backstory would have been instructions, apparently, on what God would require in an offering. And Abel heard that and he obeyed. And there's two things about his offering he offered it in faith, that's what Hebrews is emphasizing, and it was a blood sacrifice. Now, of course, all we're told in, 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 in Hebrews is that it was offered in faith, and that's why it was accepted. But, but this writer said, since God had already covered Adam and Eve's nakedness with animal skins, God had evidently demanded an animal sacrifice. That's the backstory. And Abel heard that, and he obeyed. But what did Cain do? Cain just thought, any old offering will do. I'm not going to bring what God requires. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And that's what he did. You know, that's what some people do today. Oh, I know God says 10%. I'll give 5%. That's what I want to do. Never mind what God says. I'll do what I, I want to do. God says, love my neighbor as myself, love even my enemies. No, you know what? I'll love those who love me. Jesus said, no. Your righteousness has got to go beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. All through the Bible, we see things that God demands. And we are sometimes pros at saying, no, I'm not going to do that, but here is what I am willing to do. That's not faith. Faith is doing what God says. 
And that's what Abel did. And think with me also about Noah. God told Noah to build an ark. Think of the mockery that Noah must have endured. People must have called Noah just a foolish old man. Because the way God said in Genesis that man only had 120 years, many scholars believe that what's being said is not that the span of man's life that a man won't live beyond 120 years of age, but what God is saying is man's just got 120 more years before the flood comes. And and so for 120 years, Noah is building that ark. He's collecting the materials. He's cutting everything to size. He's doing all of this without the benefit of modern power tools or modern technology. Why would a man do that? Because he believed God. And he acted on his belief. And then let's think about Abraham. Remember Abraham of Ur of the Chaldeans? But God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave where you are and go to a land that I'm going to show you. And there I'm going to build a nation out of you. You know, Abraham did not even see the full journey yet. But he stepped out in faith, following God. And God showed him the rest of the journey. He believed God. He even believed God when God said, sacrifice your son, your only son. God was testing him. But the writer of Hebrews points out that he knew that God was able to raise the dead. And so he was willing to sacrifice Isaac. And of course, God stopped him. Why would he do something like that? Faith. How about Moses? Moses raised in the household of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, one of the major world powers at that time. And here he was in Pharaoh's household. He had everything that the world could have given him. And the Bible says Moses turned his back on all of that to be counted among God's people. He left all of the palaces of Egypt to go wander in the wilderness. Think about that. Why would a man do that? Because he was acting on his faith. And then in verse 31, he mentions Rahab. I love Rahab being included in chapter 11 here because what was Rahab? She was a prostitute, which shows us today that there is hope for anybody who is willing to repent of their sins. Anybody who repents of their sin and places their faith in Christ, there's hope for you. You might think you've gone too far. No, study Rahab as an example that God forgives. What would have happened to Rahab when she hid those spies? Had the officials from her country come in and and found the spies in her house? You know what it would have cost her? It would have cost her her life and the life of all of her family members. But she hid those spies anyway. Why? Because she had faith in Israel's God and she acted on that faith. And so guess what? Rahab is even in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Isn't that great? And then there's Isaiah. 
Most believe that verse 37 here about being sawn in two is a reference to Isaiah because rabbinical tradition said that Isaiah was sawn in two by wicked king Manasseh. Isaiah was called to preach. And when God called him to preach, remember what God told him in Isaiah chapter 6 after he said, Here am I, Lord, send me. God told him that as as he preached, his preaching was going to root out people. They weren't going to listen. And yet God called him to go anyway. Even though he said, You're preaching, it's going to make their ears dull and their eyes blind. Isaiah did it anyway. Why? It's faith put to action. He believed God enough that he acted on it. Faith without works is dead. Faith acts upon what it believes. A third principle I want you to see with me. Faith overcomes opposition and trials. All of the ones we just mentioned overcame trials because of their faith and what they'd been called upon to do by God. Their life was difficult. Their lives were not lives of comfort and ease. Folks, if you're living for Jesus, you may be going through trials and tribulations. And sometimes when people are going through trials and tribulations, they think they must be doing something wrong. No, you may be going through trials and tribulations because you're doing something right. You're suffering trial and tribulation because of your faith, just like the saints of old. Some of these Old Testament saints died for their faith. Others suffered. They endured opposition and mockery and torture. Now this begs the question, why then live a life of faith? If a life can be a life of faith can be difficult, why do it? Well, because verse 2, they repro- they receive the approval of God. I want you to think about that. They receive the approval of God. Do you want to hear well done from men or do you want to hear well done from God? The writer of Hebrews isn't done yet though. A fourth principle I want to give you. Faith doesn't mean you will always see the full promise come to pass within your lifetime. Rewards from God are not diminished one bit, but rewards may be delayed. I want you to think about what he's talking about here. You may live a life of faith and, and, and experience trials and tribulations. And, and you might be thinking, wow, this, this is difficult. And you may never, you may never see Rewards for your Christian life in this lifetime. But is God faithful? Will God do what He promised? Yes. Yes. Even if it takes to the other side to see it. So again, let's think about what He said. They believed God. 
Secondly, they acted on their faith. Thirdly, they overcame opposition and trials. Fourthly, they died without receiving the promise. Characteristics of faith. Now, let's bring it out of the thenness and bring it into the nowness. That's, this is them that we've talked about. What about you and me? Let's just go over some very basic and simple things about the Christian life. Just basic stuff. Have you been born again? Have you believed the testimony of God that you're dead in trespasses and sins? And have you been regenerated? Born from above. Born of the Spirit. I didn't say join a church or even be baptized. Those things are important because you you have been born again. But have you been regenerated? The life from above, the life of the Spirit that changes a person from the inside out to where you're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. All of your priorities and desires, all of that has changed in your life. God's made you a new creature in Christ. Has that happened? Have you believed the testimony of God's word? See, Jesus said to Nicodemus, a religious man, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. Have you trusted God? Come to him by faith in his son and said, I need you to regenerate my soul. It's not just about Walk in an aisle. Again, we do that to make a profession of faith. But folks, the, Christ, the beginning of the Christian life is more than that. It's this, it's this change that the Holy Spirit does in our lives when He convicts us of our sin and draws us to faith in Christ. Another thing. When somebody's born again, we're told in Scripture that every believer is is given at least one spiritual gift. And that spiritual gift is to be used not for your sake, but for the good of the body, to build the body up. You have a spiritual gift if you're a born again believer. Are you using it? Are you using it in the church to be a blessing to others and build others up? That's faith. That's, that's faith involving action, acting on your faith, knowing that God's given you that and called you to use it, and you step out and use it. Another simple area, sharing your faith in Christ. Jesus said, you follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. He gave us the great commission. He didn't say, guys, think about it. If you get around to it, I'd like you to kind of consider doing this. No. He gave the great commission, not the great suggestion. And every Christian's to be a witness. Are you a witness? Are you sharing your faith in Christ with anybody? Again, Jesus said, if you follow me, this is what I'm going to lead you to do. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Are you being a fisher of men? That's obedience. That's faith. That's faith in action. You see, folks, just simple everyday things, basic everyday things in the Christian life. 
that constitute what it means to live the Christian life, to demonstrate our faith. In other words, faith is more than just words. Anybody can say that they have faith. Anybody can say that they're a Christian. But does your life show the reality of it? Living by faith. It will show itself in our priorities in life. It will show itself in our relationships. It will show itself in our perseverance in trials. It will show itself in our decision making. It will be the hardest thing you ever do to live a life of faith. But while it's the hardest thing you'll ever do, it will be the most rewarding thing you will ever do. And one day, one day, we'll see that it was worth it all. Let's pray together. Father, help us to be men and women of faith. Men and women who take you at your word. Who are willing to pay the price for our faith. And to endure trials without losing hope. Lord, help us to come to the end of ourselves that we might truly discover you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to come forward and confess Christ if you've never done that. Everybody in the Gospels that Jesus called to follow him, he called them publicly. We had a young man in the early hour, a 13-year-old, confess Christ. Maybe somebody in this service needs to do that. I also want to invite those to come forward who know that they need a church home to worship with other believers, to serve with other believers, to live out a life of faith corporately with other believers. If you sense God leading you to join our fellowship, I'd like to pray with you as well. Pray during this time if neither one of those other things applies to you. If neither one of those other invitations applies to you. Pray that God would grant to each of us a greater fortitude to serve Him. Even if it involves adjustments. Even if it involves a great price. Even if it's not the most convenient path. That individually and corporately. We would demonstrate faith in action. That believes in a sovereign God. That he will do what he says.